Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of If I Only Knew. Today, I'm graced by my excellent co-host, Fred. Fred, do you want to say hi? G'day, everybody. And as we know, I'm the lucky one to be uh, co-presenting with future celebrity and uh, Illuminati member himself, Matt. G'day, Matt. How are you? I'm doing very well, Fred. I'm, I'm, I'm making strides in my membership to the Illuminati. So thank you for uh, for revealing my uh, my grand plans. Yes, yes. Fingers crossed. On, on the scope of you know future leaders of the world, we're a couple of weeks post the Australian election, and I just wanted to get my head around Matt's thoughts on the result. We now have a new prime minister. So I'm keen to know from a young person's perspective or a younger than me person's perspective, um, what the election result means and what does it feel like? So Matt, good, bad or a bit of both? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great question, Fred, and one that I love to talk about because I had so many thoughts about the election. Um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit too interested in politics for my own good sometimes. Um, one of uh, I had a friend's party on uh, that night. In fact, my girlfriend's twenty uh, first, so it was a big one, and we all sat around on election night watching the television to see what the results were going to be. So um, we're pretty engaged. Um, and man, there were some some really interesting um, things that happened. Now, people have talked a bit about this, so I'll try and focus our conversation on what young people think. Um, I think like the most striking thing is obviously we've had a change of government. It's been nine years of a, of a liberal government. Now Labor's come in, um, and that's really very interesting. Um, and look, for me, and I think that this is a fair statement for the uh, general majority of young people, this feels like a hopeful change. Now, what do I mean by that? Because obviously not every young person voted for Labour, right? Um, and I think it's it's totally a mistake to say young people just like Labour. That's, that's not the case. But, like, statistically, more young people do vote for Labour than they vote for Liberal. And I think at least this election, one of the really key platform points was action on climate change. Right, Fred? I'm sure this was something that was going around news tons and, and it's important to young people. It's also, I think, very interestingly important to the parents of young people, right? I know my dad voted quite heavily on the idea of climate change because of our future. It's really important. And and look, I've I've don't know how much this is propaganda or whatnot, but in the first few weeks of, of the new government, it seemed to me like huge, important changes were made. Um, we've got climate ministers that, in my opinion, actually treat climate change seriously, who believe that it exists and want to take action on it. Um, and I watched a very, very interesting, very short interview, I think, with the Victorian environmental minister, right? So a state environmental minister who has meetings with the federal environmental minister, right? This state environment minister said that they felt that it was an infinitely more productive and effective meeting in addressing things like climate change um, than the last nine years worth of meetings, right? Um, so to me, that feels really hopeful. It feels like we actually have a government that's interested and willing in, to make changes for improving our climate and protecting our future. And I think given the number of young people that are really concerned about climate change, that seems like something that I suspect would leave many young people very optimistic. I think it's really interesting. If I look at other elements, um, we have the architect of the NDIS as the minister for the NDIS now. Oh, right. And that's Bill Shorten. Mm. Um, you may know him from such elections as the one that they couldn't lose that they lost. Exactly. You've also got a, a group of largely conservative-leaning independents, the Teals, mm. that are a bit of a one-issue platform in that it's local issues but climate change, mm -hmm. and they had the best result that they've ever had. Yeah. Um. So the Labor Party, with things like the NDIS, has brought in um, 
and is known for being more socially progressive. There's a couple of things I wanted to flag with you. Um, you know, these are good versus bad. So they've agreed to adopt the Uluru Statement for the heart and the principles yep. included in that. In your mind, is that a good thing, a bad thing, a bit of both? Look, I think, well, personally, I think it's a fantastic thing. I think it's yep. well beyond time. But if I'm trying to speak more on behalf of young people more generally, I do think it is still gen- generally a good thing. Uh, and I suspect many young people feel that way. Um, I think the reason that I think that is because I'm of the opinion that a lot of young people think that we deal with Aboriginal people in Australia better than we actually do in reality. So in New South Wales, uh, in Sydney, where you are, they were talking about putting the Aboriginal flag on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, right? Um, Seemed like it was uh, exorbitantly expensive, but um, I was shocked to hear that it was a kind of thing. For me, I was just like, that just seemed like where we have Australia flags in official positions, we should probably have Aboriginal flags in official positions in general is kind of my take. Um, And so I think that like taking more concrete action to more authentically include uh, Aboriginal people in federal cabinet is a really important thing to do. Um, I think that the the structured step... um that the Labor government is committed to is constitutional recognition of First Nations, Indigenous people in Australia, which is something Conservatives refuse to do in fear of having to then compensate Mm. for occupation. Personally, I think the greatest thing that we could do for the Indigenous identity in this country is constitutional recognition because the phrase is no treaty was signed, sovereignty was never ceded. And if you make that a reality, I think that there's a certain sociological benefit Mm. to us all for recognising that we have the longest standing Mm. uh, consistent culture in history. And that's something to be proud of. Now, there's another element that this new government has done. So just speaking of the flags, Matt, are you aware that the current Prime Minister, Mr Albanese, was the first Prime Minister that has also, in press conferences, put the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flag behind him with our current flag, rather than just our current flag? I heard that in, like, the first week he came in or something, and that was another one of those instances where I was just kind of, like, baffled that that wasn't the Absolutely. Norm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the issue in New South Wales of putting the Aboriginal flag on the Harbour Bridge is not so much. Our, our current Premier has said it should happen, and he's 100% right. He's a little bit annoyed that the price tag to put a flagpole on the Harbour Bridge is $25 million and would take two years. And I think given that there's one already up there, mm. there is an argument to suggest that uh, it's a good line around bureaucratic bumbling yeah. and government procurement. And his response was, I'll go to Bunnings and buy the materials and That's put right. it up myself. That's right. I saw which that. I think is great politics. I, yeah. I don't I don't think he ever intended to do that. And, and the good people of Bunnings probably don't sell flagpoles or stand corrected <laughs> if they do. What's interesting in the new government is, and something I wanted to get your take on, Matt, is this idea of an assistant minister for the Republic. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that mean to you? And and does the idea of Australia breaking away from the Commonwealth or the monarchy at least and having an Australian head of state, is that something appealing to your generation or something you don't think about? I love this fine-toothed look at the uh, the new government, Fred. I really appreciate it, like talking about the NDIS minister and, and this assistant minister for the Republic. Um, 
Look, I don't have too many opinions on this, and I kind of don't think too many young people do either. Um, I haven't had too many conversations that have been serious about republics or not with most of my peers. Um, the, the, the driving force for me in this conversation is the role Queen Elizabeth II plays as a monarch, right? Because I think a lot of people are very comfortable having her as their head of state, young people and old. Um, the concern might be who's the successor. Um, and I just wouldn't be surprised if a lot of young people are very disillusioned with some of what the British monarchy's been getting up to in the last little while. There's some very yep. questionable, um, you know, news stories about Prince Charles and some even more um, fucked up shit from Prince Andrew. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if into the future it's actually a very, a very wise move to have an assistant minister for the Republic to anticipate something like that. Right, Fred? I don't see this happening in a year or two, personally. Um, I don't think it's something that really bothers many young people. I don't think about it because, by and by, they don't have much of an impact on our actual government running. Were the Queen to exercise her right to expel a Prime Minister again? I think it's instant Republic time, right? That's that To me, that doesn't seem like a very controversial idea. But given that they just kind of sit there for the moment, I don't see this being a big deal until something changes. And it will change, but yeah. I believe, uh, and I'll go on record as saying I'm a massive fan of Queen Elizabeth II Mm. because I don't believe in my life there has been a constant like her. Mm. We've had several popes, if you're Catholic, many prime ministers. We look at the US, we've had many presidents by design because they've only got uh, two terms. But in my lifetime, the symbol of leadership that has been most consistent has been Queen Elizabeth II. Hmm. I believe that our commitment to the monarchy changes when she ceases to be the monarch Hmm. because, as I understand it, the single greatest way to enact constitutional recognition and reconciliation for Indigenous Australians is to decouple from the monarchy that effectively represent the colonial invasion of Australia. Right, right, yeah. And the issue with the current Republican movement is that it doesn't take into consideration Indigenous rights. And I believe that we would evolve as a people if our head of state was, you know, an Indigenous woman rather than somebody half a world away. Mm, mm, Very interesting. I also believe that for your generation, um, there is a different aspiration to having the idea that you could be our head of state rather than somebody gifted with that title because Mm. of their parentage or their lineage. Mm. I don't have anything personal against Prince Charles or Prince William, but you know what? I, I just think that the Labor Party is more open to an independent Australia. And and whilst I'm not political, I do believe we sometimes have to remember if it wasn't for a Labor Prime Minister, uh, the British would have allowed half of Australia to fall to the Japanese invasion in World War II. (laughs) It was a Labor Prime Minister that brought home our troops and fought war at home to keep Australia as a whole nation. And it's going to sound to people listening to this that I'm very politically left-leaning. That is not the case. I will say as I've gotten older, I've got more balanced. I do like the idea of an Australian born of Italian heritage as the Prime Minister. That's a thing for me. I don't 
right. really. I can't really explain it, mm-hmm. except for the fact that uh, Anthony Albanese has the same parentage, mm-hmm. if you like, that mm-hmm. I do, and that is quite remarkable to me. I think it's really awesome. I think that the hope that you talk about is has been reinforced by the fact that he wasn't given a great deal of credibility early as Mm. being a potential statesman but his role on the global stage in the first couple of weeks of his prime ministership has been flawless Mm. and much better than the predecessor Mm. so i i i want to ask a couple of other questions though before we finish there's one big one for me which is in this election climate change definitely was the key issue and that was driven by the youth of australia the youth around the world but definitely Mm. the youth of australia What's next after climate change, do you think? What's the next political hot button that your generation and the generation below you are most active around that might determine the next election? Mm. It's a really good question, Fred. It's something that perhaps we don't think about often enough. I think that as young people get more politically engaged, we start to juggle more and more issues at once. And so climate change is a big one for sure, but um, First Nations rights and, and more generally like a poverty gap, I think is, a, is mm. a big one. I, perhaps cynically, and I'm kind of speaking for myself here, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe in 15 years time, maybe once we hit 2030 targets, hit 2040 targets for climate change, the next big thing becomes uh, the wealth gap because I see that getting bigger. I see that being really quite disastrous for our social integrity. Um, and I see people getting more and more discontent about it. The The promise of a meritocratic democracy is that anyone can get uh, a decent standard of living through the middle class. And as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, the middle class begins to be eroded. And I think we have pretty good statistics that show that that's what's been happening over the last two decades. And it's projected to continue to happen, I believe. So if that's the case, I see that being the next big social challenge that uh, uh, domestically in Australia, but also in the Western world more generally, we have to face. You heard that here first, guys. That's a, that's a, a look into the crystal ball. Another and probably the most important question for me to you, Matt, is despite millions and millions of dollars being spent by fringe right-wing parties <laughs> like um, United Australia Party and One Nation, yep, yep. they were completely rejected at mm-hmm. the ballot box mm-hmm. by... Australians on both sides of politics. What do you make of that? Yeah, yeah, I think this is a really interesting, really important point, Fred. They did spend lots and lots of money, and I suspect they wanted a better result than they got. But our Senate results just came through, and the Labor Party does not have a majority in the Senate. Even with the help of 12 Green Senators, they still need one more Senator. And so the Labor Party is really going to struggle in the Senate, in my opinion, until they maybe get their feet. And so the one seat that the uh, United Australia Party procured in the Victorian Senate might actually be a really important seat for them. Now, I'm personally hoping that Labor doesn't deal with them in at all um, and can find some other way to find to push bills through the Senate. And it's also worth noting that the seat that was lost to the UAP in Victoria was a Liberal seat. So it probably wouldn't have gone to Labor even if uh, they hadn't spent any of that money. But for $100 million, one seat in the Senate doesn't sound like much. But in this Senate, it might actually matter, which is, I think, worth noting. But yeah, look, I feel like... These these parties, uh, in my opinion, in the past have been an, an effort to kind of funnel votes toward larger parties. Like the way our preference system works means that if you're following Absolutely. the UAP preference deals or whatever, it's a very big uh, has a very big impact on the overall election result. 
But this time they went a bit harder with the advertising and stuff. I see it a little bit of social stirring as kind of trying to find the disaffected in Australia and make more people feel disaffected. So even if it doesn't have a big impact on our immediate election, I'm a little bit concerned about the willingness and the ability to cause so much social consternation by just spending money on advertising. Something that worries me a little. I'm quite heartened by the idea of $100 million for a Senate seat because I believe that it speaks very openly to the fact that despite our political system not being perfect, it can't be bought Mm -hmm. because there is no economy of scale to $100 million for one Senate seat. I'm of the belief, and we know in this country that most of our um, political movement has to have a bipartisan component. Mm. I have a great deal of faith that good programs that hit the Senate, good legislation that hits the Senate, will be supported by moderate Liberals well and truly before a Labor government needs to turn to United Party Senator. But I make a prediction. This is my bold prediction, Matt. You've made a bold one. I'll make a bold one. Yes, please. Much like the last time the United Australia Party had senators in the Senate, Hmm. by the time that we get to the next election, that senator will not be a United Australia Party senator. (laughs) Yeah. They'll be an independent because the the capacity to maintain an agenda versus a local focus Hmm. when the agenda is that of the United Australia Party or the One Nation Party or the Liberal Democrats is Hmm. very, very difficult. Hmm. Human interest comes into play and most people that are elected want to be re-elected. I think that's a really good summary of where we're at. I I want, if I was to, to push you for one word about the election result and how it stands today, what word would you give me? Oh, look, I think it would be something like empowering. Great. I really felt like our democracy actually functioned this time around. And maybe that's because I got a result that I was a bit keen for, Fred. But um, I think it showed that, in my opinion, the government for the last three years hadn't been representing the interests of any Australian people. And I think the swing to the teals showed that personally. And thus, they were elected out. And I think that's how democracy should work. Well, they they famously say the Australian people always get it right and get what they deserve. Mm. In this instance, I think that empowerment you're speaking about doesn't just speak to young people. It certainly speaks to people with disability. And I think it certainly speaks to to a degree to our Indigenous uh, Mm. community. I won't speak for them. I'm I'm metadataing a lot of the information I've been reading. And in that regard, you'd like to think that it speaks to some social change, which, again, the Labor government tend to be a little more focused on Mm. broader social initiatives. Um, And so time will tell. And that's the benefit that we have. There is no... I don't believe in my lifetime a government has ever gotten it really wrong. Mm. They've gotten some things terribly wrong, but overall the checks and balances we have in place. The other thing I think that is powerful, uh, and I personally really like the idea of, is a federal uh, anti-corruption body. For sure, for sure. Not because I believe in corrupt politicians. I don't think it's particularly rampant here, but I think that, again, it's a matter of checks and balances. And we've seen some very powerful people in New South Wales Mm. have to fall on the sword because of a corruption commission. Mm. Uh, And I'd like to think that we keep everybody really honest. That's a great episode this week, Matt. Mm. Thank you for letting me pick your brains. And and 
I think I learned a lot about the way that we mobilize issues as a culture now. And one of the things that I think resonated with me most is maybe it's younger people that start beating the drum on an issue, but parents and loved ones start to pay attention. And I think this election was a great example of my generation listening to your generation mm. um, and voting accordingly. So a good result for all. Let's see how we go. I'm sure in a year's time we'll find things to critique about this government uh, because that's our role as mm. independent, uneducated pundits the way that we are. <laughs> yes. Thank you for your help this week, Matt, and thank you listeners for your time. Please do us a favour of liking and subscribing. We have some really loyal listeners out there at the moment um, and we've got great feedback from our episode with our special guest star gabriel keep the feedback coming mm. we want to hear from you thanks for your time and we'll see you next week on if i only knew lovely thanks very much guys thank you for listening this podcast is a better pod group production with special thanks to our researcher nicola binks executive producer matt blanche the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio and of course you the listener it's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.